Hey, who do you want to be like? Here's a question. Who do you want to be like? Yeah, well, you're ruining my point. Someone said Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting to him. I'm getting to Jesus. But usually whoever we want to be like, we pick up their attitude, right? We pick up their attitude. Um, a few years ago, uh, there was this really famous pastor who was the cussing pastor. And now, now I heard a couple of weeks ago, I, I wasn't preaching and my wife preached for me. And I hear that we have a cussing pastor's wife. Now, I have to say that, that she really doesn't, but at least she doesn't do it. If she does it, at least she doesn't do it while she preaches, right? So that's, so this guy, like, like he just loved to throw in a cuss word every time he preached. And he started a whole network of, of pastors and churches. And since that time, like since 15 years ago, Anytime I'm around someone who's been under his ministry, they end up throwing in a cuss word during their sermon. So uh, I'm not going to do that today. So just let you know that I'm going to, I'm not going to do that, but it's interesting to me. The point is the attitude, like when we admire someone, we pick up their attitude. Like even when we don't, even when we don't do it intentionally, we admire them. And because we admire them, uh, we begin to maybe even pick up their tone of voice uh, their perspective. That's why today's message is so important. It's one of the, it's one of the passages in the Bible that is, every time I read it, it convicts me. And so I, I know that this is such a high standard scripture places for us, but it's a beautiful standard because it is the formation of Jesus within us. Uh, the title of my message is this, Attitude is Everything. Attitude is everything. And leading up to this part of the passage, we're in now week nine of, of the Philippian series. And leading up to this, there was a lot of talk of because of what Jesus has done for us, we ought to get along. We ought to prefer one another. We ought to serve one another. And this was the tone leading up to this part of the passage in verse 5. And verse 5 actually begins a song. So there's a hymn that Paul writes. We don't know if it was a common hymn of the church or if it was something Paul just wrote right there. But it was, it was a song that summarized who Jesus was. And this message today will make such a difference in all of our lives. And I'm going to tell you this. As I meditated on this scripture, I just thought, Lord Jesus, I have so far to go to become like you. But that isn't... That isn't like a demeaning statement. That is a dependent statement. Like, like I need the Lord right now. I need him to work in my life. I need him to work through the worship service and the sermon, through the sacraments. I need him to work through uh, the community I'm part of. And he is at work. And so let's receive the word of the Lord. We'll go to Philippians 2, starting with verse 5, and read this song. And at the end, I'll, I'll present this as a word of the Lord. And if you choose, you can say with us, thanks be to God. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. Look at that first statement in verse 5 again. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. The oldest manuscripts, what, what they say with the word attitude is, have this mind in you. Have this mind in you. Have a way of looking at the world. Look at the world this way. You know, there's so much in the world we can't control. But you've heard this before, but you need to hear it again this morning. You can control your attitude. You always can't control your circumstance, but you can control the way you look at your circumstances. I love this writing by John Maxwell. He, he teaches and talks a lot about attitude, and here it is. Attitude to me is more important than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. Wow. Truth you've heard before, but truth that we don't always live by. So it's good to have this reminder. I mean, our attitude is something that our parents, our teachers, our coaches, they talk to us about at our youngest age, even when we can't grasp what the word attitude means, we can feel its meaning. It's a perspective of life. It's a way to look. And unfortunately, we have a whole lot of people we look up to, but we don't see Jesus as example as we should. But that's what we are. We are people who are being trained by Jesus as we learn his teaching and learn his perspective and understand how he his ways interplays with the world, it demands our attitude to align with him. So even people that we admire in religious circles may not have the attitude of Jesus. And so we continue to judge our attitude by scripture. And I can't think of a better scripture than the one we're going to look at right now or have already looked at uh, to adjust our attitude. Here's the first thing I see. I'm going to give you four Four Christ-like attitudes from this passage. Here's the first thing. Releases rights. A Christ-like attitude releases rights. And that's a tough one to do, especially when we live in such a great country where we understand uh, the power of individual rights as that's uh, spurned out of some of the great movements of humanity. And those are important. And those, those allow us to choose Jesus freely. And so we're grateful for those. But... When, when we begin to hold on to our rights, um, when, it come, when it comes to our advantages over other people, our powering over other people, then we can step out of the way of Jesus. Verse 6 said it this way. Who existing in the form of God. So let, let the scripture make it very clear, like the whole breadth of scripture that Jesus is God. Right? There, he, we don't have the option to make him a good teacher, a good prophet, just one of many religious leaders. Uh, he claimed to be God, and his followers 
who saw him resurrected claimed him as God. And this makes it clear again, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. I started thinking about this and thinking more about my life even. Wrong attitudes usually happen when we claim our rights in a situation. Not, not always, but usually we get offended because our gifts aren't recognized or we get offended because someone doesn't call us by, by our proper name maybe. Or we, we get offended because we're not recognized. And it's just a natural emotion all of us deals with. As an apprentice of Jesus, that's what Dallas Willard calls us because the word follower has gotten kind of muddy. An apprentice of Jesus, meaning we're, we're, we're letting him guide us. We're letting him, we're, we're, we're seeing how he lives and we're, we're emulating that. I cannot use my privileges as an advantage over other people. He laid down his privileges for us. And so when we're having the attitude of Jesus, we'll do the same. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 gives a different perspective, a different language, but the same concept. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you may become rich. And of course, it's talking there about the salvation we get through Jesus Christ. So we, we see this example, and this this redirects our attitude. So this week, it's going to happen to you. I know it's going to happen to me. When we feel that thing well up in us, like, hey, you don't know who I am, or you don't know what I know, or you don't know where I've been, maybe we can just slow down a little bit and say, Jesus, let me have your attitude. If you laid down your right as God for us, I can lay down my right in this particular situation. So remember that with the elementary crossing guard. They have an authority over you. (laughs) Lay down your right. That's not an easy job. I did it one time. It ain't easy. I did it one time and I didn't do that great. And so they moved me on to something else. Well, when we think of certain people, we associate them with certain outcomes. Colonel Sanders, you think fried chicken, right? Garth Brooks, you think country music. Wayne Gretzky, you think hockey. I figured if I was going to use a sports metaphor, that was a safe one here in Tennessee. Or I didn't want any booing if I chose the wrong team or the wrong sport. When you think Jesus, he personifies service. A Christ-like attitude personifies service. Look at verse 7. Instead, instead of what? Instead of claiming his rights as God, he emptied himself by assuming the form of, serve, of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Jesus, his incarnation, like him just showing up in our world was a way that he served us. Now we know he served us way beyond that and we, we have dozens of examples in the gospel. Uh, the, the, the prime example or the, the pinnacle of that example is when he laid down his life voluntarily, willingly on the cross. He exemplified service by his very existence. If you think about Jesus being equal with God, the Trinity, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit, God in one, 
And he chose in the incarnation to reduce himself all the way down to one human cell. He, he did that and he went through. He went through all, all of the processes an uh, embryo and a baby and a child would go through. And, and all, all that a toddler and a teenager and a young adult living in obscurity until he was around age 30. These are remarkable. This is a remarkable service to us. It's a remarkable service that the very essence of who Jesus is tells us that he serves. And and he gave great teaching about, about service. If we go to Matthew chapter 20, starting with verse 20, it says, Jesus called them together. And this was when he heard his disciples arguing over who was the greatest and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people. And the and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. So things were the same then as they are now. But among you, it will be different. I want you to let that sink in for a second. He, he, he spoke into our future and said, among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. The very act of the cross was service to us. And so when we find the way of the cross and Jesus becomes our apprentice, then we become servants. And within, within the religious structure, sometimes we can lose sight of that. You know, I'm thinking about our 242 small group leaders. If you haven't figured out what 242 means, it's attached to the scripture, Acts 242. We have lots of small groups. We have the men's small group, the women's small group, the kingdom group. We have lots of different small groups. Tonight starts our 242 small groups, which are open to singles and married people. They interact together um, around Christian fellowship. And when we were praying for the service this morning as a staff, I started imagining these group leaders and group hosts because I know all of them and know their lives. And to think they've worked, you know, all week long at their jobs, caring for their families, no doubt doing things on Saturday, chores, coming to church here on Sunday morning, and then later on this afternoon, they're going to open their homes or they're going to open their lives. And you, you know what that is? That's the way of Jesus right there. That's serving. And so I want to honor you 242 leaders, but I also want to call this church not to take for granted 242 leaders, but honor them for what they give. The space they give for us to have community is the way of Jesus, and it's beautiful. Amen. Thank you, Jacob, for starting that clap. Since Pastor Jacob uh, is in charge of 242 groups, that was a really opportune time to clap. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't try to start a standing ovation or something like that. But I felt it from the heart, nonetheless. Guys, there's a lot of dreadful places in this world, but there is no more dreadful place in life than traffic school on Saturday morning. Nobody wants to be there. 
You go to traffic school instead of getting a ticket because you don't want it to be docked on your insurance. And so it is a nice alternative that they provide for us. But it's painful. And it's on Saturday morning. That's sacred time. And it doesn't matter if you've driven 15 years, 55 years, 47 years. If the judge says you got to go to traffic school, you have to obey or it's going to cost you even more. And so, so we go to traffic school, and it's complete silence. No one looks each other in the eye. No one acknowledges the existence. It's like shared, dreadful torture. But it's obedience, and it's obedience that, that, that doesn't come from the heart. It, it's almost a prideful obedience. It's like, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna. I'm here, but I'm not here. I'm here because I have to, but I'm not here because I want to. And my body language and everything about me, my demeanor is going to communicate that. Obedience out of submission is the example Jesus gave us. And here's number three. He demonstrated humble obedience, not a prideful obedience that says, "I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I'm only doing this because I have to." Jesus displayed a humble obedience. I think it's good when we make right choices when we, when we don't feel like it. That's important sometimes. So sometimes we do make the right choices because it's the right thing to do, even when our heart's not in it. But as believers, we want to continue to ask the Lord to help us put our heart into our obedience. I don't want you to say, well, my heart's not in it. Forget it. I'm not going to obey. That's not God's will either. But it is God's will for us to continue to say, Lord, what is it about me that doesn't want to obey? What is it about me that doesn't want to participate in what you've called me to do? What is it about me, Lord, that, that is resistant to this? And, and understanding means this. There's wisdom and understanding. Sometimes understanding means I understand this is important, even though I don't feel like doing it. But understanding also says, Lord, I, I, I want to live from my heart. And Jesus was such an example of humble obedience. Lord, I want to obey, not out of obligation only, but from the heart. Look at verse 7 and 8. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And in case you didn't know, that was the most humiliating way to die in the ancient world. And this was reserved for the worst of criminals. And it was demeaning. And Jesus became obedient to death. But not just losing his breath in this world. But the way he died. Death on a cross. And what is now beautiful to us is there's a symbolic cross just right in front of me. And many of you have crosses you know, on your jewelry right now. And those are good to have and hung up in your homes uh, but let those remember, let, let those remind you of the humility of Jesus. Because what now is sacred to us, as it should be, was a point of humiliation for him. But he was humble enough to be obedient to cross, to the cross. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about this great company that we're surrounded by of, of believers who have always existed. And in verse 2, it gives us, this charge. 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Look at that phrase there, disregarding its shame. Remember, the, the cross was shameful, but Jesus, he redeemed everything, and he even redeemed, redeemed that most shameful of execution, uh, executional instrument and made it something precious to us now. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Now this is one of the beautiful things, and we're going to see this in Paul's song and his hymn right now, that when, when the early church and believers, and now us, as we extend that story, talk about the, the great gravity and heaviness of the cross, we don't stay there. We don't stay at the heaviness of the cross. We approach the cross with its seriousness and its humility with gratitude and understanding of what Jesus did. But that understanding is the pathway to the revelation we live in right now. Because Jesus was not someone who was executed and forgotten about. He, he didn't accidentally get caught by the Roman soldiers and wasn't put on the cross. And then God said, okay, well, this didn't go like I thought. So let's just go with plan B and, and make the cross something special. No, the cross was ordained by God. It was planned by God right after Adam and Eve sinned. God was in control. He knew what he was doing because Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself. That means your sin, my sin, so that when Jesus, when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees something great. He sees something powerful. And so because of this, there is an exaltation of Christ. There is a raising of Christ for the world to see. There is a revelation of Christ Jesus' position in the heavenly realms. And this leads me to my last point here. My fourth point is that a Christ-like attitude depends on God's promotion. We see that Jesus was willing to serve. Jesus was willing to humble himself. Jesus was willing to voluntarily, sovereignly die on the cross and to, and to allow his sins, excuse me, to allow our sins to come upon him, to to be the substitute. He did all of those things. And because he did that, then God did something in his plan. He exalted Jesus. He lifted Jesus up. And that, that exalted place where Jesus is, is what, what has been revealed to us and what will continually be revealed to the world. Look at verse 9. For this reason, what reason is that? Because of what Jesus did, his humility his service, his, his willingness not to take advantage of his position of God. Because of this, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to be reminded today that the privilege you have to have received God's grace, to have that aha moment 
we realize that Jesus was not just a story. Jesus was not just something created by man. Jesus was not just something from our past that, that we are now adapting so we can cope with this world today. Jesus lived on this planet. He voluntarily laid down his life and was crucified died, went into the grave, but he didn't stay in the grave. On the third day, he proved that by the power of God, there's victory over death, Hades, and the grave. And because he was humble, because he loved us so much, because he gave up so much for us, God has lifted him up that today there is no other name that has the power that the name of Jesus has. There's no other name that demons flee from. There's no other name that you can call upon on the the night that you're in your darkest hour and you have no hope. But you can call on the name of Jesus and there's power and there's authority and there's an involvement of God when you call upon the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is stronger than even the the most difficult uh, diagnosis you've received from the doctor. The name of Jesus is stronger than cancer. The name of Jesus is stronger than diabetes. The name of Jesus is the stronger than depression and anxiety. The name of Jesus has power over the things you have thought had power over you. I want to tell you, Jesus gets involved in the issues of your life. And when Jesus gets involved with the issues, you begin to see that he is placed at a place of authority, high above the rulers of the power of the air. You know, Satan has this limited authority here on this earth. He has this limited authority that is only going to last until Jesus comes back again and, and Jesus shows who he is to the world. And until that time, we as his church begin to see him, that he is lifted high. He is positioned at a place of authority. He is one that we can look to when we have nowhere else to turn because he is higher than all of the division that's trying to destroy the church and to try to destroy God's people. He is higher than all of the division that's trying to break up marriages. He is higher than all of the division that's trying to uh, separate uh, parents from their children. That when we begin to get our eyes on Jesus, we begin to prefer one another. We begin to have the attitude of Jesus, the perspective of Jesus. We begin to think like Jesus. We begin to lay down our rights. We begin to to see him where he's at. Then miracles start happening among us because it's all about him and not about us. And so this is the Jesus that we serve today. And this is the Jesus that we look to as we come to the table of the Lord. I want us to, to stand together if we're able to now. And I want us to position ourselves to begin to receive all that the Lord has for us this day. Father, I thank you, God, that, that Lord, this scripture today has, has raised up the standard for us. It's raised up the standard for us that we are not to stay, God, and, and our attitude and our perspective. But, Lord, we're going to walk in your attitude. We're going to walk in your perspective. God, we are going to have the attitude that Jesus Christ had. We're going to have the worldview that Jesus had. Father, I thank you for correcting things in us today. Father, I thank you you're correcting the things that should not be in our lives. Father, I thank you, Lord, that, Lord, this teaching just touched on several different areas. And, Lord, I thank you for surprising us today. Some of you might have thought, hey, I didn't expect to think about that issue. 
This is an issue that I forgot about. I just believe that some of you are remembering right now a time when you, you moved in your own attitude, your own spirit, but didn't have Jesus's attitude. And you're kind of like, as you heard this today, you're like, I forgot I did that. I wish I hadn't done that. Hey, that's okay. That's the Lord just gently correcting you, gently loving you right now. Just saying, that's okay. I'm, I'm gonna, the Lord's love is saying, I'm gonna bring you back to the place you're supposed to be. I'm gonna bring your attitude back in line. I wanna pray against pride here. I wanna pray against pride in my life. And I want you to begin to pray against pride in your life. Father God, I pray as much as I can, Lord, to lay down the pride I have in my life. And I pray for this church, Lord, that we would lay down any pride we might have that would get in the way of your work, to get in the way of what you wanna do in our life. I wanna pray, Lord, for any in here who may feel too prideful to attend this church. I, I sense there might be a couple of people here who the Lord is calling you to this church. I'm not trying to be manipulative with this. I'm not trying to be manipulative. I really feel like this is from the Lord. You feel called to this church, but for whatever reason, there's some kind of pride in you that says, oh, I, I need to go somewhere that has this or has that or has something else. But I want you to hear the voice of the Lord. I don't want you to hear the voice of your pride. I want you to hear the voice of the Lord. And, and I just believe that, that maybe there's two family units or two singles or something that this is for you. The Lord says, no, this is your place. This is your path. This is a place I have you. It's a place of humility. It's a place of service. It's a place for you to lay down your rights. And so I want you to receive that from the Lord this day. I want you to receive what the Lord has for you on that. Father, I thank you, God. Lord, as we begin to sense that you're doing something within us, the power of your word is so strong. The power of your word begins to, to shake us. It goes to, our, to the, the place, God, of the inner place within us that only your word can reach. It's reaching into deep places. Father, I thank you, God, Lord, for for uh, showing us the way of Jesus, Lord, and showing us how exalted he is. And we love you and we thank you for that today.